Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This is Wolves Weekly, sponsored by MyDieselClaim.com. So this is uh, Wolves Weekly, the press pack, with myself, Mikey Burrows, uh, BBC WM's Mike Taylor, Birmingham Mail's Mike Bagley. We did, for a national voice, approach the Telegraph's Mike McGrath, but he turned us down. So uh, we have Sky Sports' Johnny Phillips. So it's Johnny and the three mics. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, that, uh, heading to number one soon, Johnny and the three mics, I think. Well, <laughs> like a doo band. I was going to make it... Um, um, the three mics and Johnny, but we thought that Johnny Phillips uh, deserved the primary status as the lead singer of this makeshift band. <laughs> I know, no, no, why you've asked me. Obviously, my name fits in. I didn't, didn't realise that was the criteria. <laughs> no, but we, we also need we also need to introduce you properly because I know you've not been in the role um, a huge amount of time. So we'll get to some of that in a little bit. Um, and we also want to talk about Johnny's book as well, uh, which has come out recently. So it'll be interesting to have a little discussion about that. But um, I, I guess uh, it's an opportune time during this international break. And Mike Taylor, I'll come to you first on this in terms of your assessment, really, of, of what we've seen so far and life under Gary O'Neill. Well, I, mean, I think he's been held dealt a very difficult hand to start with. Any manager arriving five minutes before the start of the season um, has a, a difficult set of cards to play, whatever the state of the squad that he's inheriting. Um, because essentially, he's, you know, you're trying to put on somebody else's shoes before the start of the season. The whole point of, of, of pre-season, or one of, it, one of the points, is to, is to set up the squad in the way that you want. Um, but his own predecessor had made a big deal about talking about you know, needing a pre-season. So uh, it was difficult to start with. So it could have been worse. I mean, you know, the, the, the results have been a bit mixed, but it, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, the games that have been lost have not been all terrible. You know, the Brighton result was pretty awful, but uh, it was the only one that was. I know that the, the, the Palace game, I don't think either side were that great in that game. But, yeah, it's, it's set up for a, what looks like a difficult season, but I don't know is that it looks any more difficult at this stage than it did 
when it looked, you know, there were people happy to say the sky was falling in when Jim Lopetegui went a week before the start of the season. Mike Bagley, what have you made of this first six weeks, I guess? Um, I think Mike Taylor's description that it could have been worse is probably, uh, you know, really, really apt. It probably sums up the um, the, the mood at the moment. So it's a sort of tentative um, evaluation of it, I guess. Um, I've, I've been impressed by Gary O'Neill. I, I agree that he's been dealt a very difficult hand. And, oh, I mean, he, and especially because the previous manager basically said, I'm, I'm not really sure about this squad or, or the prospects here. I think that was, you know, in a nutshell, that, that, um, the job he was coming into. Um, so it's very difficult to judge him on just four games. I think the way he conducts himself and he comes across in press conferences is really impressive. Um, the way he's talked about the Matias Nunes situation, for example, um, he's generally taught Wolves up, I thought, without being unrealistic. Um, and I just think he gives, in press conferences, he gives you enough of an answer with, without, sorry, well, he's still fairly measured. So he comes across as pretty, um, pretty reasonable bloke. Who you'd like to think you've got you've got faith in, really. Um, as for the games themselves, as I said, very hard to judge him on. Um, but I think there've been one or two decent performances as well as some, you know, obvious flaws. I think still in the squad, such as the Palace game, um, where although Wolves scored two goals, maybe it's not really resolved the issue of um, whether we needed a new striker, which I think is the case. And also, maybe are the flaws at the back that are starting to emerge that maybe weren't there last season, and it's got to be remains to be seen. You know whether that's uh, that's going to be an issue. Johnny, what's your assessment? Yeah, I think the two mics have um, summed it up really well. There, um, it was a it was a really difficult hand that Gary O'Neill was dealt, and I really hope the fans give him time to get it right because it's not a quick fix. It's not his squad and he didn't have a pre-season to sort it. Uh, that said, it was a job he probably felt he couldn't turn down. Um, the striking issue was, I think, an important one. He wanted a striker. Um, he identified that quite early as a position that needed strengthening and wasn't able to get one in. So Wolves are going to have to muddle along uh, as best they can to at least January um, and probably haven't really got the satisfactory outcome in that position and the strength in other areas um, I feel after four games one win and three defeats is probably where Wolves are at that's the source of squad they are they're a team that will win one and lose three in the Premier League um, and you know if he keeps his Wolves in the Premier League this season I think he's done his job and then we can reassess and take it from there but yeah a, a tough challenge ahead definitely Well this is the interesting thing though because um nationally johnny you look at a lot of the newspapers um a, a lot of pundits uh a lot of people from the outside have completely written walls off and i did a chat with dan bentley the other week and i think that came as a bit of a surprise to to dan and a few of us like i think that they're, they're under no illusions that it's it's tough because it's the premier league but they still feel like they can they can push forwards and 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 try and get to a higher level um, what do you think it is the reason that that so many national journalists have kind of said have looked at Wolves? Because I look at the transfer policy, and I don't, Mike Taylor might agree with me on this. That there's a lot of players that left that no, weren't necessarily playing. It, it was time to end certain things. So for a lot of people on the outside to just go, well, they've lost these players; they must be in relegation trouble. Doesn't necessarily stack up to me, John. 
No, but I think what you have to look at is Premier League starting 11 ready players. Um, there were plenty of players who left who are sort of, you could put in the starting 11 and have no qualms about. And I'm not sure how many have come in who you can say that about. Uh, it's all very well looking at the ones that have come in and there's real potential there. And uh, there's, um, you know, qualities and, and potential that will hopefully uh, be realised at some stage. But how many of those walk into the starting 11? I'm not so sure. Whereas you've got established players such as Ruben Neves, Mateus Nunes, obviously, who've gone out. Uh, I'd even include Connor Cody in that, even though he wasn't at the club, um, as someone who could go into a starting 11 in the Premier League, certainly in a three. Um, and I think that's why the Nationals are looking at it. They're looking at, uh, you know, Ryle Jimenez is starting up front for uh, Fulham at the moment. Uh, and although he hasn't scored, he's doing what he does and giving a focal point to the attack. Um, and I, I think it's as simple as that, Mikey. There's just not necessarily players that are starting 11 ready that have come into the club. This is the thing, isn't it, Mike Taylor, that for for a long time, those of us who watch them week in, week out, for for longer than we both care to remember, it, I said this to John Ruddy last week, that it felt like it was a, a good time to reset that we finally feel like we're at the end of a cycle that was the Nuno cycle, that that we have to now change and move on. And some of those players that have left, as legendary as they were, didn't quite fit where we were trying to play and how we were trying to go now. Yeah, I mean, I think that is true. Um, and of the players who left, I mean, I mean John, you're quite right in that, that, that all of them could have started a Premier League game. But... I'm not sure that the, out of that list, if, if you'd have said that uh, how many of, of those players would Wolves fans have expected to start the first Premier League game? And I think Neves and Nunes are probably the only two, um, which is not to say that all the others wouldn't have had a role. The problem is, is that there is a lack of depth in that the Premier League is not about 11 players anymore. It's not even about 16 players or, or probably 20 players. You know, you've got to have more than that uh, over the course of a season, probably. You know, Wolves do have a serviceable first 11 and a few more, which ought to be enough, probably, I think, to not get them in relegation trouble, or at least not be in any more trouble than half the Premier League is. But where are the reserves beyond that? And that's been the that problem dates back to early Nuno, even to successful Nuno. Um, and you will remember that Nuno, one of Nuno's uh, watchwords was that he wanted a very small squad. And they were outliers even then. And it was always walking a tightrope. They went an extraordinary amount of time through the championship and the early part of the Premier League with a very small number of injuries. But eventually you regress to the mean. And, and where, where Wolves have been since is that you need more reinforcements. And that's what they haven't had and arguably still don't. Mike Bagley, I'd be really interested in your views on all this because obviously you come to it with a kind of a fresh set of eyes, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of outsiders looking in, I think probably uh, Ewan Lopetegui leaving has to be a big factor in why people are writing Wolves off. I mean, you fellas will know better than me, but I got the impression that maybe this is from uh, Lopetegui that Wolves had overachieved a bit last season and then getting them to 13. So when he then leaves and gives the impression that he hasn't got a lot of confidence in the squad, then I can understand why people would then think, yeah, Wolves are in trouble. Add to that that the fact they've sold players for, well, over £100 million more than they've spent. 
then you can see why people who don't know the the nuts and bolts of the squad and the situation would say, yeah, would put Wolves down as as being strugglers this year. Is it when we talk about transfers? There are. Um, I know you did a piece recently, Mike, of, of kind of the list of players that were linked to the club, certainly in the last couple yeah. of weeks, and um, and some of the deals that kind of didn't get over the line in in some respects because there was a lot being talked about. Clearly, a lot was trying to happen. It's that sense of transition that yeah. that um, intrigues me in some ways. And I, was, I say I said this on on the podcast last week in terms of football comes in cycles. That's always been my view of it. And it feels like we're at the start of a cycle now and there is still an awful long way to go. And we don't yet quite know what this team looks like with the players who did arrive in the final week of the window. I think that's fair enough. And I think you've also got to go back to January, haven't you, when um, Gomez was signed and Lamina was signed with the club planning for um, Neves going. So and I think that's a great point about Wolves being in transition at the moment and in a cycle. And that's probably why things aren't as bad as he may just look in black and white about they've sold place for X amount this summer and only signed place for this amount. Um, I think another positive is Matt Hobbs' record since he's been in charge. Go back to January then, some, some good signings then, value for money. The big question is how will the signs do that have come late in the deadline? But I would say Hobbs' record, you know, gives you some um, so, some uh, some faith really that, uh, that they'll be okay. I want to ask Johnny about the the transfer work that happened in that last week and and the job of Matt Hobbs because um, few people kind of operate in the the same higher higher corridors than Johnny gets into certainly higher than the rest <laughs> of us get there. What did you make of it all, Johnny? Uh, without knowing the exact numbers that uh, Matt Hobbs had to work with, I think um, his record so far um, it, it has been. Good in the, the sense that he's looking to uh, move away from the Jesterfute stable and he's looking to bring in players with potential who can um, perhaps maximise their value if they reach that potential. I think this is a good opportunity for a reset. If there is one positive from um, what was a, a, a frankly shambolic situation with Lopetegui this summer, it, it, it is that with Gary O'Neill in charge and Matt Hobbs as sporting director, there's a clear run at it now. And Wolves can hopefully have a reset and take it forward. It, it's really hard to know um, just how much of a free hand Matt Hobbs has uh, and has been given because I think he had to wait a long, long time. And there are a couple of players, and this certainly applies to the defender from Borussia Mönchengladbach, Elvedi, who were virtually signed and very close to signing, but were just made to wait and wait and wait because Wolves couldn't free up the cash and then it went away. So I know that there were players that Wolves definitely missed out on was obviously the long Alex Scott saga, which went on and on and on with the Bristol City midfielder. But there were others as well who Wolves didn't get. And I think um, that was because of what was happening with finances during the summer. So I don't think we can look at the transfers in and present that as Matt, Matt Hobbs's definitive list of who he wanted and who he got. I think there were probably others on it as well. Um, but I think he and Gary O'Neill definitely deserve uh, the opportunity to to have a run at this now and, and and as you know as we've said a reset if that's what it is um and, and let's see where we go from here because mike taylor it feels um not exactly the same but there are similarities to um the start of the nuno cycle to me in terms of um you have some experience in it uh, mario lamina 
Craig Dawson, those type of guys. Um, but also we have signed potential, right? And and we just don't know how long it takes for that potential to be realized. But I I, I keep saying I feel quite excited by that for a change. Yes, and, and this is where it's impossibly difficult because signing players with potential is a really good idea in any other business. In any other business, you sign, uh, you put a big investment in something that's going to come to fruition in five years. And, and it makes perfect sense. And football is one of the many ways in which football is different to any other business in that no manager or indeed no sporting director can be very certain that they're going to be around in five years. And who knows what's going to happen to a player in five years. In five years, he might be the greatest player you in, in the Premier League or he might have sunk without trace. Uh, and anything could happen. It's, it's really difficult science. So it, it's difficult enough to get it right. And then you're in the context of everybody wants to know who you've signed today, who's going to play on Saturday, uh, who's going to score us 20 goals this season, not who's going to score us 20 goals in five seasons time. So you're trying to please that audience as well, which is your audience who's going to be there on Saturday. And, you know, if, if Wolves lose on Saturday, it's fairly cold comfort coming outside the ground to say to somebody, say, yeah, but we, we spent 20, 20 million pounds on a player and in five years' time, he's going to be fantastic. And he's going to be worth a lot of money to this club. That isn't going to assuage anybody. And so you're trying to, to, to serve both audiences um, to, to look in the long term. You know, there must be a bit of every football manager, as in, you know, the director, the coach, You're saying, well, I'm delighted you've spent all this money on a player who might be good in three or five years' time. What makes you think I'm going to be here in three or five years' time? I might be down the road in six weeks if we haven't, and I haven't got a striker. So I think that's very, these pressures all pushing in different directions must be very difficult. Um, And you you can't possibly solve it unless you've got, you know, you can spend unlimited money on both, which you can't. Um, Johnny, one of the biggest elements, uh, no, no matter who was in charge for this season, no matter what Wolves are trying to achieve, they have to score more goals, right? That's That's been a, an issue for a long time. Richard Holmes asked a question saying, we need so much more from Fabio Silva. However, is he capable or is it time to play Sasha Kalajic? I don't know where you stand on that, Johnny. It, it's the, the age-odd issue. How do they start scoring more goals? It's really tough, isn't it? In the, I mean, I don't think an either-or between those two is necessarily the answer. Whether or not it's something that in, in, involves a tweak in the formation. I remember Diogo Jota starting off as, as very much a wide man uh, for Nuno and a winger and eventually forming an unbelievable partnership with um, Raul Jimenez down the middle. Uh, I, I wonder if Pedro Neto could be made it into a more central role. Mike Bagley, this is a a debate which has raged for many years um, in terms of goal scoring, but also in terms of formations. And we may as well discuss some of it again in terms of, again, with fresh eyes, that when we played three slash five at the back, everybody wanted Wolves to play four at the back and play an extra forward. Now, I think there is a, a growing swell of opinion that Wolves maybe need to go back to three and five at the back and that might suit some of the players a little bit better. How do you view it from your your fresh perspective? 
Well, going from the um, Carabao Cup game against Blackpool, when Wolves played three at the back, they looked, uh, they looked fantastic, didn't they? With um, I'm trying to think, I think I'm trying to remember who the wing backs were in that game. Uh, I think Ray Nate Nori was one. It was actually Johnny, wasn't it? And then he swapped with Matt Doherty um, in the second half. And but the thing with that is Wolves looked a really creative, free-scoring team in that game. But it was against um, League One opposition, so. It's, I suppose it's difficult to to say how how many um, conclusions you can draw from that. Really, um, when we're talking about the forward options, one player again, you'll know more than me. One player who's impressed me is uh, Huang Hee Chan, and I've only seen from the end of last season and then the first few games this season. So I saw him in the Everton game at home, where I think he started more centrally, and then he's tended to play wide when I've seen him. So I'm not saying he's the solution to everything, but I'm just thinking if looking at actually players in the squad. I just wonder if he, he'll end up playing more of a role and, and can chip in a few, with a few goals as well. Managers right. seem to like him so far. more. And again, this is my impression, is that Huang has found it harder to win over fans than I thought he would. Um, and, you know, I'm aware you're at the, the, the evidence to that is only a bit of social media and a bit of what you hear and a bit of phone-ins, and that's only scratching the surface. But my impression is that Huang has found. I thought I thought they'd love Huang. I think there's even a commentary clip on this, one of the goals he did. It was scored at Watford on that day when he first arrived. And I remember saying to Shantamelli, "They're going to like him." And I don't think really Wolves fans have warmed to him particularly. And yet managers have. Bruno Large really liked him. He played in. I think he started Lopetegui's first six league games until he had an injury. I wouldn't, wouldn't be at all surprised if the same things happen through Gary, uh, happens with Gary O'Neill because he seems to deliver what managers want in that he works extremely hard and he knows where the goal is. As for the formation, I wonder whether there will be a consistent answer because uh, in what I've picked up about what Gary O'Neill did with Bournemouth last year, and by the way, that's all we've got to go on on him as a manager. Remember, he's only finished playing a short time. So he's probably still working out the whole business of managing, the low managing walls. But I'm not convinced that we will see O'Neill ball, to use a modern way of, uh, of putting it. I'm not sure that that will exist. The message that I've picked up from Bournemouth last season is that he did what was pragmatically right in any game. If he looked at the game and thought, we're going to be more stable as a four in this game, then we'll play a four. If, we, if the next one we're going to be better off as a three, we're going to do that. We might change in between. And I think that's quite a modern way of thinking. We're used to perhaps saying, you know, here is manager X. Manager X plays a team in this style and he will now fashion the players that he's got to fit in that mould. I sense that Gary O'Neill might approach that problem from the other end. What are the players I've got? Who are we playing? What's going to be the best solution this week? And we'll worry about next week, next week. So I wonder whether we might be in a situation where he does switch between a back three and a back four and having two forwards and not having two forwards, let alone where the wang he was. Wolves Weekly with Mikey Burrows. Brought to you by MyDieselClaim.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's only a kick. 
a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Johnny, uh, having Santi Bueno obviously gives him the option to go with three centre-halves. I know he experimented with um, Matt Doherty and Johnny as one of them in that Blackpool game that Mike Bagley mentioned. Um, the the question about formation that that sets up really depends a lot on one player we haven't mentioned, which is Jean-Rick Nabelga, who people within the club talk to me about being, you know, he's the one, he's the he's that X-factor type player, that's something different. And, and therefore, in a way, Johnny, it comes down to where does he fit into the team? Yeah, because for a long while now, and I'd say going all the way back to Nuno's time at the club, since Nuno left, the, the squad has, has has been imbalanced. It's, um, there's not really been a, a, a formation you look at and say, oh, it's it's so easy. Got, just think back to the, Nuno's time at the club and those two seventh place finishes. And you just, you knew the shape. You knew each player who went into the shape. And it was really easy to pick uh, the team. It would be the odd tweak, maybe three up top, um, or two up top, extra man in midfield. I've genuinely looked at Waldo the last, particularly the last twelve months, and the starting lineup comes out, and you just think, well, what shapes that? Who's going where? And it, it's really, really hard to identify. Uh, uh, and if you know, it's hard for us as a sort of journalists watching and as supporters watching. What must it be like for Gary O'Neill now, who's coming in and looking at this? He's a long way, I'd say, a long, long way away from identifying the shape and the personnel to go in that shape from what he wants. Also, as Mike touched on there, um, going back to his Bournemouth time, he very much set teams up uh, depending on the opposition as well. So that adds a, a little extra dimension to it as well. Um, but the, there's, there's no way, I, th- I think, at this really early stage, and it will probably take at least half a season and, and, until Wolves, um, or Gary O'Neill at least, is, is comfortable with, with the shape and, and comfortable with the right people in the right positions. Mike Bagley, you're nodding. Yeah, I agree with that. I just think it's very, <clears throat> excuse me, as Johnny said, it's very difficult to say what a Gary O'Neill style is. And as Mike Taylor said, he adapted a lot last season. I mean, I suppose it, so long as he gets enough points, it doesn't doesn't really matter. If after six months we can say, right, Gary O'Neill plays back three or, or four, it's likely to change. I just wonder if that is because he's a tactically flexible manager or, or just because Bournemouth with a side where, where they had to adapt to the the opposition, I suppose, when Wolves are flying, then you perhaps have more confidence in saying this is our best team, this is our best formation. We'll play this every week, you know, and it'll be interesting to see our Wolves in there a situation where Bournemouth were maybe last season where they have to adapt more to the to the opposition. Um, just on a general point about Gary O'Neill, interesting in your views on this, all of you. Um, obviously, uh, what is he like in press conference terms? Because we've had an interesting run. Julian Lopetegui, Mike Taylor, um, I think was was very evident in what he wanted to say. Um, Bruno Large would sometimes say things that you weren't expecting him to say, but clearly he wanted to get across yeah. whether he was going to be asked it or not. Um, and Nuno famously didn't say an awful lot at all. Um, 
So what have you made of having Gary there to, to pose questions to? Well, he's straightforward so far, which is which is fine. I mean, that's that's on weakness. Um, yeah, I think Bruno sometimes said things that even he didn't know either he was going to say or not. It just sort of all tumbled out. Um, Nuno, I wished would say more, but that's not him. Um, but maybe we are, he must have an, he's got an incredible book in him, but I wonder whether anybody will get him to write it ever. Um, but I'd, I'd read new, the Nuno story, wouldn't you? Um, but he, he kept it all to himself, which was, you know, he's his right, but it was a pity. Uh, Julian Lopetegui was always had a bit of the show in him. You know, this is the show, you've come to see me. Uh, which is fine because you know he, he's he's got the record to back it up. I don't sense that about Gary O'Neill. I think he's he's well aware. He gives the impression of being well aware of you know where he is, and I think he seems to be well aware of how he's viewed at the moment, which is as a novice manager, which in a sense is what he is. Um, which is not to to, to run him down. He's done splendidly so far, but he still has only been a first team manager for five minutes. Um, and he's been through a lot in that time at Bournemouth and already at Wolves. But he's very straightforward. The one uh, there was uh, one or two journalists were chatting about this after a, a recent press conference. There are echoes of Kenny Jacket in him, although he's a bit more open than Kenny was. And I liked Kenny very much. Um, and uh, as I know, Johnny's written about uh, Kenny a lot in his book recently. And uh, Kenny will rightly be credited when we look at Wolves the current era of Wolves in the longer lens, Kenny Jackett did a lot of the spade work to get to Wolves where they, to where they are now. But he was the ultimate straight batted interviews. I think Gary is nearer to that. Uh, maybe he clearly outed himself as a Millwall fan. Maybe he modelled himself on uh, on uh, Kenny Jackett's press conferences when he was at Millwall. Um, but I, if he's a straight dealing and straight speaking to the players, as he is with us, in that he answers the questions uh, straightforwardly and reasonably, um, then I think that I would imagine that players would like that. I would. Um, Mike has beautifully teed up Johnny uh, some <laughs> conversation about your book. Um, I just want to put this in before you do, um, because Mike Bagley will love this. Uh, so Kenny Jacket, um, basically, I think me and Mike Taylor agreed, he used to decide which three answers he was going to give uh, after a game and would deliver them no matter what the question was so you could say didn't the defense do well today kenny and he'd turn around and start talking about new Adico up front and you kind of go hang on did did any of us ask that question yeah. that that was kenny um johnny uh zay he there's some interesting characters we've had in the the last couple of decades that you've documented yeah um Kenny Jacket was very much left to Paul Berry, who's the co-author of this book. I left because there was probably nobody closer uh, to Kenny in, 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 than Paul. And yet Paul probably knows as much about Kenny as, as the bloke who walks past me on the street in 10 minutes time. <laughs> he was just really did keep his cards close to his chest. But he did. He did open up uh, as much as um, anyone could imagine um, to Paul for that section of the book. Um he was in, you know, Mike Taylor's description there was, uh, of Kenny was sort of, and, and Gary, you know, comparing him in that sense was spot on. He was, um, he, I, I almost think there's a little glint in Kenny Jacket's eye when he, when it, when he spoke. I think he, he knew what, he, like Mike Taylor said, he knew what he was going to say, and he stuck rigidly to it. Um, I once spoke to a former player of of, of Kenny's at Millwall, actually, 
And he said Kenny was great if you're in the team and great if you're of value to him, but literally didn't want to know if you were just loitering around the, 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 the squad and of no value. And I think Kenny was just brilliant for Wolves in terms of, um, of, of sorting the wheat from the chaff and getting the best value, maximising the value out of the Wolves squad. And, and he absolutely was, was the catalyst and the starting point for, for, for the Foson revolution. That, that is absolutely the fundamental point. It was at a time when Wolves needed somebody to go through the like a dose of domestics. Uh, and Kenny Jackie was that person. Um, and carried them along. Even it was, there's a lot more to it than just that, by the way. Because um, uh, he carried them a long way forward. Quick Kenny Jackie story. Kenny Jackie made me work. The, the, the hardest 15 minutes work I've ever done was with Kenny Jackie. Um, and we had a fans forum that the WM were doing with the club. It was it was um, in one of the suites at, at Molyneux. And we're recording with Paul Franks, our, our presenter. And he was coming up after the phone-in on a Friday evening. It was in the winter and it had been a bit snowy, so the traffic was no good. And we, the idea was we were going to start at 8 o'clock with Kenny. And there were a couple of hundred fans that the club had organised that. And it was all great. They were all sat there. Uh, and Franks rang up and said, the, the traffic's terrible as we come into the snow. I'm going to be about 15 minutes late. Kenny was the most punctual manager, and you'll know this, Mikey. If Kenny said the press conference was going to start at 1 o'clock, it started at 1 o'clock and the door would open at 12.59 without fail. And Kenny was in bits about that. He said, no, we can't. We've got us, we've, we have to start at 8 o'clock. We, we must start at 8 o'clock. And, and Paul Berry was there, Matt Grayson was there, uh, and we said, we must start at 8 o'clock. And, if, you know, these people have come. They've, they've, they've agreed to come here. We must start at 8 o'clock. We must put on something for them at 8 o'clock. So, okay. so we settled it because the, the audio was we we're going to record an hour for the radio and Frankie was going to do that uh, sort of a straight recording so I said I'll tell you what I will sort of interview Kenny in front of people in the room for 10-15 minutes and then when Frankie comes then we'll do the hour and then that's fine so I thought well this is straightforward Kenny Jackett's had this great career he's managed all these clubs managed Millwall to the you know cup final he's managed uh, cup semi-final he's managed Swansea to promotion he played for Watford he played in the cup final easy Kenny Jackett did not want to talk about the achievements of his career and I tried to I was taught I said you were a great player I said you were this that and the other and uh, he didn't want to know he was in modest to a to a fault as far as that 15 minutes were concerned. And I kept looking at the door and thinking, Francis, please come in so that we can start taking questions from these people. <laughs> Tell us about the great players you played with. Well, you know, yeah, there were some there were some terrific players there. Um, but you know, I had a good time at Watford and then we just, you know, and then I'm here and now I'm here. Oh dear. And I think he loved doing it. And at one point he sort of pulled my leg and everybody laughed. And I thought, Kenny, this is your revenge. For three years I've been asking you pointed questions. And, and Kenny took I felt I like, like to think of it that Kenny took his revenge, but he's far too polite to say so. Um, but but that was him. He didn't want to talk about how great he was, even if you wanted to tell him how great he was. He just wanted to do the job. And I think he deserves huge respect for that. And he certainly had mine. Johnny, there's been some huge characters. Uh, I know the book goes all the way back to, to what, Dave Jones and the first promotion? Yeah, so it's called Revolution of Wolves and it, it, it was to come out for the 20th anniversary of Wolves' first season in the, in the modern Premier League, which is 03-04. So we've got Dave Jones in it and and a lot of, um, most of the team uh, uh, that took Wolves to promotion. And the one we were really pleased to get was Paul Ince, 
because he hasn't really spoken about his time at Wolves before. And luckily, I was covering Reading quite a lot last season for Soccer Saturday. And I just kept getting into him every time they won a game. I'd leave him alone when they lost. But eventually, he agreed for, for me to pop down to Reading's training ground for an hour. And we got him and Alex Ray together. And that was great. And then he, even characters like Glenn Hoddle uh, agreed to speak. who wasn't necessarily a, a great success at the club. Um, and it goes all the way through from Glenn Hoddle era through um, Mick McCarthy, that era. Um, Paul Berry really concentrated on because he was working at the club then. Uh, and then this, this incredible revolution under under Fosen and Nuno. And, and, and the club were really helpful. Max Fitzgerald, um, the director of communications, helped us tee up um, Jeff Shee and Ruben Neves. And, and, and it, it wouldn't uh, have worked without the support of the club. Um, and hopefully it tells a story of, you know, it's a trilogy, really. Three different promotions, three different owners, three different managers and three different degrees of success and how the club has, has, has really revolutionised. Mike Taylor, I remember, I'm sure, going down to the tennis club um, when Wolves used to borrow the facilities of, of, of the Newbridge Tennis and Squash Club rather than have their own training ground. And now they've got this magnificent facility. So it, it was a joy to write. And what um, really came across was even the characters who didn't have a great deal of success here and had some tough times to deal with, all spoke with huge fondness about Wolves. And it's, that's the sort of club it is. It does get you. It's a club with faults and flaws, but it's, it's a club that does seem to, to, to grip everybody who comes across it and, and leave a lasting mark. That's why I wanted to bring Mike Bagley back in on that final point, because I say you are fresh to this and I know you've worked elsewhere and you always have different affinities to to clubs you've covered and clubs you've probably supported in the past but um when you kind of see what this club is and the passion that is around it and the history that kind of goes with it what's it like kind of coming into that and and being responsible for well partly responsible for reporting on it uh, it's been fantastic and it's been helped that everybody's been so so welcoming. Um, Max Fitzgerald and Jack Walker at the, the media at the club have been great. We've got to stop yeah. bigging those two up. We, we can't keep <laughs> in there. That's getting edited out. No, no, but everybody's been really been really friendly. I, I had covered the Premier League before for about five years with Stoke, but even so, it's still um, still a bit different when you when you go in. Um, and it can, can be a bit daunting, actually, sometimes. You know, it's 30-odd thousand there. And it's just uh, getting used to that again. Um, no disrespect at all to Portwell because I absolutely love doing that job, and they're the, they're the team I'm still um, still following. You know, look for the results. Uh, but it's but it is yeah, just getting that used to that again. One thing I've found easy that you don't get in League One and Two is the little uh, TV screens, you know, with the replays, which makes <laughs> makes life a hell of a lot easier. You're not just asking your colleagues in the press box what just happened. Then I was writing the writing the match report, so it's probably report with a bit more accuracy than the, than I did do. Although maybe Wolves fans wouldn't wouldn't agree with that. You can't give away all the secrets of the press box. <laughs> people people will start thinking that me and Mike aren't actually watching the entirety of the ninety minutes. The, the video screen just means I can get it wrong twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, just to quickly mention, uh, say Johnny Phillips and Paul Berry's book Revolution of Wolves. Um, you've got five star reviews, Johnny, on uh, on Amazon. I'm just looking at so. Uh, it's available off there and um, all good bookshops, I guess, is the, the yeah, classic phrase. Uh, Waterstones in Wolverhampton, but we mustn't miss the club shop. I mean, I'm not going to bite the hand that feeds me. <laughs> get down get down to the club shop and buy it, first of all, um, if, if you want, because um, 
yeah, they, they, they've kindly stocked it as well. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're the areas you can get it. Um, just before I let you all go, uh, say there's lots of questions and we will get to more of them on the next edition of the Press Pack. Um, just uh, in terms of looking towards Liverpool now, Johnny, um, Andy John says, do you think we've seen any positive glimpses in the matches so far of what Gary Neal's trying to implement? How do we push on out of what kind of feels like a little bit of a rut? And a similar question from Craig Berry about what's happened since the Manchester United game and, and how do we get back to that level of football? Do you think they can do it in, in a high-profile occasion like Liverpool will be? I think it'll be very hard. I think uh, in the Manchester United game, they exploited... Um, a gap in midfield when uh, Ten Hag left Casemiro fairly exposed in the in the centre. I think he put Mason Mount and I forget the other fella further forward, maybe Fernandez further forward, and there was a big hole which Nunes and Cunha could exploit, and and that sort of surprised United. I think Liverpool, Liverpool are, are really really good. Uh, they're getting back to the sort of levels um, that they were a few years ago, and it it might be a tough one to judge. Uh, Wolves on what happens on Saturday without sounding like a harbinger of doom. I think um, it, it could be a really, really, really tough afternoon. I think over time, Wolves can get back to the sort of um, levels they showed against Manchester United, albeit, you know, they haven't got Nunes anymore. But against Liverpool, I, I think they've, they've really got to tighten up. And if anything, you know, really, really cut out the spaces that um, all their players can exploit they've got so much attacking potential so you know it's it, it's always it, it sounds a bit negative to say you know uh, especially in a home match that, that, that Wolves have to look to, to to cut out the opposition but I think this might be one where Wolves have to negate the threat of Liverpool before thinking too adventurously themselves Mike Bagley yeah, I suppose the, the classic in these situations as you say I'd take a draw which I, I think uh, definitely be the case I think um and if, if Wolves lose, I wouldn't read all that much into it. So I just don't think Gary Neal's got a big body of work at Wolves where we can, where we can judge him. So, and the temptation is always to say, well, they weren't good in this game or they were great in this game. This is this is how Gary O'Neill plays. I was guilty of that sort of hyperbole after the first game after the Manchester United. So this is, this is Gazball, you know, really exciting football. And although that was a really impressive performance and a good way to start, I think on reflection, it's difficult to pin too much on one game, even five or six games, you know, but I'm really looking forward to the game and just seeing if Wolves can um, do a bit what they did against Manchester United, you know, that'd be, uh, that'd be great. Mike Taylor, um, there is good memories of a, a barnstorming performance against Liverpool last season at Molyneux. So there yeah, is some well, hope there. They've played well against Liverpool on a number of occasions um, in, in the recent past, you know, one couple of games at Anfield in in various competitions so look, it's they've got they've got a chance in, in in any game but they are going to have to be defensively really tight you know if they if they fall behind early on uh, they can be picked off as they were by Brighton um and you know Liverpool's strength is obvious I wonder whether this will be an occasion to go to three at the back I think they, they might look more secure doing that I don't know I mean that's these are the things that Gary O'Neill will be weighing up I am interested to see Belgard that you were mentioning I wonder whether this will be an occasion to to put him in and see what what a, a player. It, that's I think that's the most interesting signing that they've made this uh, this window. I am intrigued to see him because his career up to now is not on the face of it remarkable, and yet 
Wolves are obviously really keen to get him, so I want I want to, I'm interested to see why. But I would I wouldn't hold it against him or anybody else if we don't particularly see why this weekend you look towards the game the following weekend and you think, well that might be a real a more useful yardstick as where Wolves are. JP and the three mics, uh, thank you very much, everybody, for your contributions on the press pack. Wolves Weekly, brought to you by mydieselclaim.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.